Pray with me. So Father God, as we uh, approach Your Word, Lord, I ask that You would help us all to hold Your Word in honor. That what we experience, we will experience with the truth and the guidance of Your Holy Spirit, that You would help us to hear Your Word. Father, I ask that You would speak to each one of us individually, that regardless of the words that I speak, that what is heard is Your Word, pure and true and right, and anything that is less than or outside of that would fall aside and be forgotten. Jesus, we love you. We want to be right before you. We want you to be king and master in this place because we are here because of you and we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we uh, continue deeper into this season of history, that's completely different than anything any of us have experienced before, right? I don't know about y'all, I remember I was, a, I was kind of a little kid in the 80s when we were all worried about the, the Russian missiles coming over and the bombers, like, and there's people digging holes in their backyard, right? We, I, I was a little kid, so it was just kind of this distant thing, but, but I think this season is different from that season, right? It's just there's just uh, agitation and, and, and a lot of struggle, and so there's, there's uh, places of solid ground that have seemed foundational for us throughout our lives and the lives of even our parents that are, just aren't there anymore. Right? There's things that, you know, like even like this last year, the school year was disrupted, like shut down. Never. How do, like, and so one of the things that I remember, because as many of you know, I've over the years have been interested in and just aware of disasters. And I, when I worked at the Capitol, it was one of my jobs to look at that stuff. And, and one of the things that uh, I thought about over the years and slowly dawned on me is, is, is that, uh, the psychological impact of change is bigger than we realize. The emotional impact of, of insecurity and things shifting is, is honestly very difficult to, to, to have, but it's also hard to see, right? Sometimes, I don't know, you guys remember when we had all the fires and there was like the dark clouds and it was crazy weird dry. And one of the things that I noticed in the middle of that is like my emotions, I was like, I was more emotionally vulnerable I was, I was, it was hard sometimes to think clearly because like, it's like, well, what do you do? Do you go and just do normal life or do you stop everything because everything's different or like, right? And so these are some of the things that are sometimes hard to see, but they're foundational to our experience and it feels like some of them aren't here anymore. And so, uh, so I just asked the question, and this is where we went last week. So what truly is foundational? What is the thing that doesn't give way? What is the thing that doesn't shift? And so I pointed at last week, and I feel like the Lord is, is talk, talking to me and hopefully all of us, is, that, is about the Father's love. Jesus was motivated by the Father's love. He was loved by the Father. And so it says, uh, here it says in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so he's talking about there's this extension of the Father's love to him and that's what drove him. Did I get the right verse? Yes. And then, and then he's inviting us to abide in Jesus' love. It's a place of safety. Because you remember last, all of last year, one of our focuses was Psalm 91. It's talking about how we have a place of safety with the Lord. But just like, um, just like when there's an umbrella, right? And there's, the, there's an umbrella and God's holding up an umbrella. And there's like this torrential downpour. The umbrella is there. There's a place of safety but if we're standing over here, we're getting rained on. It's not that God's not faithful. It's just that he's, we have to go to him and cling to him. That's where our safety is. And so I'll just con continue on. 
So for this reason, this is John 10, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down from on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Notice that Jesus is laying down. He says, I have but the call, the responsibility, and the ability to lay down my life. But the reason why he's doing it is because of the Father. God gave him this assignment. See, this charge I received from my Father. That's why he's doing it, but that's also why he's able to do it. When God calls you to do something, we're motivated by the love of the Father, but we're also empowered by the Father to do what he asks us to do, right? It's this whole thing. This is why everything comes back to Jesus, right? There's a, oh, Heidi, what was that, that guy that you knew at, at your school that, that became an evangelist? And they always say it's like all for Jesus. Reed Saunders, that's right. And you know, it was that all for Jesus, is that what he said? All for Jesus. That's, that's why the statement all for Jesus is a real thing. This, it's not just a cultural thing. It's, we're not just being cool Christians. We're not just going to stack up our bumper stickers. The reason why it's all for Jesus is because it comes from Jesus and it goes back to Jesus. That's where it flows. And so, and that's, and of course, Jesus is our example in doing this with the Father. And then, um, but uh, where am I? And so, but I do, John 14, 31, do I have that one? I think I do. Yeah, here it is. But, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then this is at the end of the Passover. That's why he says, rise, let us go from here. And so, uh, I'll just leave up there. So Jesus knew the Father's love. Now I'm going to look at the opposite end of this, and some of this, I just there's lots of sources of information like this. I happen to use this, uh, uh, this is a, a 2007 UNICEF report uh, on children in the U.S., Canada, and U.K., as in first world children, not third world children is what I'm pointing at. And this is just some light stuff. This is the impact on a child's life when dad's not there, okay? So they have low worth, low self-worth and depression. They have behavioral problems, they have low academic performance. 71% of high school dropouts have no father at their home. There's a high rates of youth crime, promiscuity and teen pregnancy, drug and alcohol abuse. Get this, 90% of runaway children come from a home without a father. Those children that don't have a father are exploited, right? They're abused. Those are the ones that end up being trafficked. They have a physical, like literally they're more sick they have more things going wrong with their body and health problems. They have more things going wrong with their mind and their emotions. They have lower income. Literally, if there's no dad in the home, they have less money throughout their entire life. They have high divorce rates. They actually have a higher mortality. That means they die faster. They literally die an average of four years younger than a child that had a father in her life. Wow. This is a big deal. Now, none of us have had a perfect earthly father, right? We can, that's not a shock. And for those of us who are fathers, it's even less of a shock because we know that we're going to miss the mark and have missed the mark at one level or another, right? We just do. It's horrible. We don't like it, but it's the, it's the facts. And so I would argue that apart from God, all of us have experienced some level of the consequence of fatherlessness, Right? Our Father does the best He can, our earthly Father. But there's things you can only give away what you've got. And if there's anything that's missing in His life, He can't give that to you no matter how much He wants to. Bless Him, bless Him, bless Him. I'm not attacking fathers, right? 
That's, please don't hear that. I'm just acknowledging the reality that, there is, that, there's, um, that we're incomplete in this. And I would argue that because of that, all of us have some level of a father wound. Now, these marks on our lives can be traced through our lineage all the way back to who? Adam. It goes all the way back to the beginning, right? Because Adam and Eve is where the sin entered the world, and that's where the lineage already broke. All, it's a long time ago. And generation after generation, there's these things that have been folded in. This is why we need Jesus. Now, the thing is, is, is that that's all of that stuff, these things that are missing, these things of missing the mark, all of those are expressions of sin. Sin is so much a part of our world that until it's really, really big, we usually don't even see it, we don't feel it, we don't even smell it because we're living in it to such a degree we can't even, right? There's, no, there's nothing clicking in us because we've lived as fish in this water to such a degree, it impacts us. Most of us can function pretty well through everyday life, right? Keep our jobs, keep moving forward, pay insurance on our cars, right? And it's when we're under pressure that these things rise to the surface. Things like fear, impatience, bitterness, insecurity, anger, addiction, or denial. And we are like a reservoir that's sitting up there behind a dam. I just, I just picture, right? We've all been up there. Various dams. So we're like the reservoir behind a dam. And when, the, when it's full, the reservoir is full, boats speed around and the water laps at the edge of this beautiful shore. But when life makes withdrawals and the, and the reservoir begins to not be refilled and it gets drained, before long you can see the muddy banks visible, right? You've seen this. We've all seen it. And the boats have to watch out for stumps and logs below the surface. And then if the water drains even more, you may begin to see things that, uh, see that things abandoned and long ago forgotten begin to break the surface, right? How many know that like, there's times they set up dams and they fill in the reservoir and there was a town there and it's now completely underwater? And sometimes the reservoirs get so low that buildings and roads and stuff Chimneys, they'll come, they'll come up above the water, right? And so that's us. Like when, we, when our, our capacity um, are, are beginning to get drained, then things that are from long ago that are there sometimes come and break the surface. And so just like the reservoir, we need to be refilled. But if our life gets refilled again, which is good, but all the stuff that's at the bottom is still there, it's just hidden, and it'll be there the next time the water goes down. Right? And so we need to be cleaned out and we need to be filled up. We can get filled up and that's good. But then the next time the reservoir is drained, the chimney will still be there and someone might smack their boat into it. We also need to be cleaned out. And so when Jesus came, this is what he came for. He cleans us out. And so on one hand, I'm not going to put up uh, John 10.10. 10. On one hand, so Jesus says, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. I always, this is a verse that I always feel like, I always think of it as 
two different verses, but it's not, right? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and sometimes we point at that. Today we're pointing at, I, Jesus, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. There's moments when I feel like I'm not experiencing abundant life, but Jesus said he came so we can have it. If we don't have it, then we need to ask why, because there's something, I believe it, right? If we believe the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus came to have, that we'd have abundant life. So this is, should be an honest-to-goodness expectation we can have. Now, that doesn't mean that abundant life is like what our culture necessarily says, right? You know, skiing every weekend or whatever. I don't know what the measure of that stuff is. So, the thing, right? Jesus came that we would have life, but in order for us to truly have life, he must also remove sin, Right? Because it's sin that separates us from the Father. That's sin he, that, uh, that brings death. And so he must also remove sin to cancel death and to clean the deep places of the reservoirs of our hearts. And over here, it says, but uh, Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to clean yourself out before you can come to Christ. He doesn't require us to go and, and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Remember, there's a place in, so um, I didn't put this in here, but when, when Jesus is, uh, is the good doctor in Scripture, he, came, he says, I came for the sick, not for the well. And the thing that struck me, and, I, and I've said this many times, but it strikes me so deeply that the only difference in that context between the sick and the well was honesty. Right? If we're all in this mess together, if we're all struggling with sin, if we're all been there, if we've all been touched by this, if all of us have a father, a mother, family members, friends that have somehow have missed the mark, all of us have been touched by this stuff. And so the only difference between the sick and the well is honesty. That's it. That's why we all need Jesus. Now, He heals us. We don't remain in the same place. We don't remain in the same level of brokenness. I don't believe that, that we're in a world where, where we're just hanging on by the skin of our teeth until Jesus comes and rips us out of this place and burns the joint down. I don't, Jesus, He's, he's a redeemer. He's a restorer. And, and you don't have, that's, that's part of the abundant life. The abundant life is not a, you can't touch that until you're dead and in heaven. Right? He invites us to have abundant life now. Thankfully, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm going to address, if you want to, you can turn over to Matthew 9. We're going to look at a story. It's the first few verses in Matthew. And, um, and, so, uh, and, I, and I'm also, just full disclosures, there's a, there's a place where I'm going to step into just a little bit of speculation about this. And I want you to hear from me that I'm being a little bit speculative. It could be interpreted in a couple of different ways, and I believe that both ways are, are legitimate. But I feel like the Lord pointed out one way to look at this and you'll, and you'll see this. And so uh, this encounter, if you wanted to look it up, there's some other details. I believe it's the same encounter that's recorded in both Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. And if you wanted more details, you can go look at those accounts. But we're going to look at the Matthew account of this. And so Jesus comes back across um, the, the Sea of Galilee. That's verse 1. It says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic. Now, in the context of the other ones, he's in a crowded space. 
He brought him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And I just realized this one gave a little bit less detail than what I was remembering. So, um, here, where is it? There it is. And so, this is the story where there's a paralytic, Jesus is teaching in a crowded building, and there's a paralytic, a man who can't move, he's, he's bed-bound, and his friends are going to get him to Jesus, but they can't get him through the crowd. So they go up on the roof, dismantle the roof, and they let him down. Right? Kind of cool, kind of edgy. Yeah, okay. Innovative, right? Exactly. And so, um, I'll just finish this thing and then go back. So, verses, uh, where is this? Verse uh, 9 or 4. So, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Did I even read the last one? Um, I'm just going to read what I have written here because I broke it in different spots. So, sir. So getting into the boat, he crossed over. Some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Right? And we go, huh, that doesn't make sense. Right? They're going to bring in the guy who can't walk, and Jesus says, oh, hi, person who can't walk. Your sins are forgiven. And it feels a little bit like a letdown. Like, Jesus, I thought you were smarter than this. You're God. How did you miss what this was all about, right? And it says, and then behold, some scribes, this is what a little bit more what it's about, said to themselves, because they were watching, hey, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. And then he goes on and he, just, and he finishes this. It says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. Okay? So in this, there's a, there's a few different characters. And we're not going to talk all about all of them today. Number one, there's the paralytic, right? That was obvious. Number two, there's his friends, right? His good, bold friends who said, You're going to Jesus. Right? And part of he's probably like, yay! And he's like, wait a minute. Right? Those are his friends. His friends are good guys. Then there's Jesus. And then there's these religious people that were thinking that Jesus was blaspheming. And then there's this, the nameless crowd that's out there, right? That are filling up all the space. So there's all those different five characters coming in. And so the man's friends, there are people of faith. Right? That's something that James, I think, pointed out. They're having faith on behalf of their friend, and it's possible that the paralyzed man was begging to be taken to Jesus until he saw the plan that was being made. Right? Oh no, I don't do crowds. We can't do that. That's, that's going to be rude to Jesus. Don't interrupt him. Right? It's not safe. Right? How safe is it to drop a guy who's paralyzed through the roof? Right? Osha was not standing there. It's not safe. And I'm sure there's another way. We're going to get him tomorrow. We're going to go see if he's got business hours. There's got to be some other way. But apparently that was the way. And so, can anybody to relate to that sort of feeling, right? Like, you want this thing. Of course, the, the paralyzed guy, his, his body doesn't work. It's twisted up. He wants to be whole. And there's the answer. 
Because they all knew that Jesus healed people, and there's the answer. But there was a barrier. And so I was thinking about this, and so in, in children, maybe some of you can relate to this, in children it might be that moment when they're given money and invited to go through the line at a store to buy something they really want. Some little knick-knack thing. Okay, here's money, go buy it. Right? But they've never done that before. And so suddenly they're not quite so sure that they want that thing. Right? Oh, well, I don't know. Can't you buy it for me? No, this is a learning experience. Go, right? Anybody? Is that real? Okay. So, but here's, here's another one. Maybe in an adult, it might be something in your body that doesn't seem quite right. But you're not quite brave enough to schedule a doctor's appointment because it might be easier not to know. For all of us, it could be that moment when, when Jesus asks if we're going to truly live for him, and we say yes, as long as. Exactly. Jesus, I will live for you as long as you never tell me to go door to door, because I'm not one of those guys. Jesus, I will live for you as long as I can have a good, steady income. Jesus, I will live for you as please don't send me to Africa, right? Like, there's the long the list, whatever it is. I will live for you as long as you give me the most gorgeous wife and the most brilliant children, right? Whatever the criteria is, we all have our things. We say, Jesus, I will serve you no matter what, as long as. I have to find my spot. So this man had a real need, the paralytic. But also, he might have been held back by real fear which is touched by real pride. It's possible that he was actually willing to pass up a chance of being healed and made whole because he's afraid of the unknown and he was afraid of being embarrassed. And then suddenly he was swinging in open space above the crowd. Right? Can you imagine? Probably sheer terror. Like, you know... And so suddenly he's out there swinging in open space, terror, and he has no control, which probably is something the man strove to have and never had, right? He's paralyzed. He can't work. So there he is stuck wherever someone puts him, just asking for money. If somebody wants to steal his money, they can. If someone wants to be rude to him, they can. If somebody wants to ignore him, they can. He's got no power. And so suddenly he has no power, and it's in front of everybody. Oh right? I wouldn't want to be there either. A moment in the presence of Jesus, right? And then he sends down and then suddenly he's encountering the living God in flesh. Jesus is there. And, and so this is, this is speculation, but I believe it's based on the character of Jesus and what we know about him. So in a moment in the presence of Jesus, number one, he knows he's safe. Jesus is not condemning him. Jesus is not making fun of him, and Jesus is not taking advantage of his lack of control. When you go before Jesus, he will protect you, right? He will protect you. He's faithful, and he's good. And so suddenly, those friends, they weren't so cruel. Those friends that were faithful saying, you can do it, we're going to get you there, right? They had faith on behalf of the guy that didn't have enough faith, maybe, or he needed something to get him past that bump. Good call, James. And then, and then the crowd just doesn't matter anymore. Who cares what they think? 
And there's something that's changed his heart as he encounters Jesus that he can't explain, but there's things shifting. And then Jesus does not deal with his broken body. He deals with his sin. And I don't know about you, whenever I've read this, I've just read it as this just kind of like story, you know, uh, your sins are forgiven, and then it says, and then it literally has the explanation, um, behold, see, so that, um, that's not the right one, um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, right? And so I've, I've always read this story as a theological statement, but Jesus is always operating at another level. There's something else happening here. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. And so from our perspective, the impressive thing, and I have to ask this question. So Jesus asked this question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Right? Isn't that kind of intuitive? If I'm with you, my whole life, my perspective says, well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. Is this true? That's the way it feels. Now, from our perspective, the impressive thing seems to be stand up and walk. But honestly, I don't think our perspective is right on that. And this has been my view all along, I just because just I wasn't thinking very deeply about it. The power and the authority to truly remove, to clean out the bottom of that reservoir, to forgive sins is not cheap, and it's not just words. Right? If there's a true change, it's not your sins are forgiven, they're there, feel better. That's, that's not the Jesus that we serve. Imagine if this man had his body healed, but his soul had remained dark. What if his body was finally able to work, but all of his fear remained? And his, the rest of him remained twisted up with lies and regret or pride, a strong body would not have enabled him to have the abundant life that Jesus came that we would have. And so we aren't given the details of what was in this man's heart. It's just not there. So, so I'm speculating. But we just hear Jesus ask, what's easier? And Jesus does ask a significant question. I'll try and keep moving. I do want to honor time, but I think this is important. So is it easier to heal a broken body or is it easier to heal a broken soul? And I believe that healing a broken soul is far more significant and also far more costly. The prophet Isaiah spoke of God's power to redeem while also describing the depth of sin. This is Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Has anyone ever felt the debilitating weight of sin before? I know I have. It's awful. Sin can steal the strength of the strongest man and empty the passion of the most creative woman. Sin is much more than just being naughty, right? And that's why the deep, complete, transforming forgiveness of Jesus that he offers is so important. Scripture teaches us that we can experience forgiveness for sin. Jesus still does it. However, our experience is tied to what we believe. 
Do you believe that maybe you've been naughty and it would be nice to hear someone say, ah, don't worry about it. When it says, your sins are forgiven, I believe that that's how we often interpret that statement that came from Jesus. Ah, don't worry about it. But that's not what the transaction that was taking place. There was something bigger. Or do you know that sin has touched you in ways and places that are hard to look at, hard to even admit? I don't know about you, but it's very, very difficult to truly receive love when everything inside of you says you're unlovable. The path to experiencing the Father's love that I talked about last week is trusting Jesus Christ with our twisted selves and our twisted souls and trusting Jesus to straighten it all out. Jesus can make you clean. Can you say that with me? Jesus can make you clean. So I'm going to close with two verses and, I'm going to end, uh, and an invitation. Um, so, so here's one that I want you, we've already been quoted multiple times this morning. This is John 14, and Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So I've been talking about our need to experience the Father's love. Our gateway to the Father's love is through Jesus. Jesus says there's only one way. The whole world is going to tell you there's bunches of ways, right? All the religions are the same. We're just worshiping the same God differently. We're not. That is not true. The other religions do not line up with Jesus. They do not line up with truth. This is the only religion where God comes and He becomes a sacrifice Himself because we can't do it. Every other one demands that the servant of that God must die for their God. This is the only place, the only religion, the only foundation where the God comes and He dies for His creation. It's different. And I don't know about you, but one of the biggest barriers for us and for me is to have the pride die inside of me and say, I will allow you to die in my place because I am, right? How many of us, and I've heard so many conversations where there's this expectation, I can get through, I can do it myself, I can whatever. Right? And there's something right about a pioneering spirit. There's something right about having a good intensity to go out and do stuff, right? We're supposed to work. But this isn't that. We can't fix ourselves. We need Jesus. Romans 10, 8 and 9. And I've got a couple here. But what does it say? It says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a statement. It's a promise. But there's conditions. Did you see that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, oh, sorry, I do have that one too. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. So, here's the invitation. Do you know that you need Jesus today in a way that's deeper and more real than what you've known Him in the past? And if that's true... This is where we have to do things that are wild and crazy. How about you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus at a level I haven't had him. And so I'm going to pray a prayer and invite you to pray after me. And so 
And if this is you, keep your hand up. There's something about just this just, just symbol of just saying, this is me. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I have sinned. I need you to untwist my soul. And I declare today that Jesus is Lord over all things. I believe that Jesus paid the price for my freedom by going to the grave and being raised again to life. Jesus, please make me clean. Show me how to live. Please give me the abundant life that you promise to those that cling to you. Amen. And so if you just prayed a prayer in this, and you can feel like this has weight, then let's have some folks pray, like up front, not, not necessarily me, but just come up and let's just pray for each other. Because if there's something significant, God's doing it, right? He's the one that makes us clean. He's the one that sets the path. He's the one that's faithful.